Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. Uh, We have as our guest today, Robin. Robin is a friend of Winning at Home. She is a survivor. She is a forgiver. She is a follower of Jesus, and she's been gracious enough to share with us a story that comes with a lot of different layers. So Robin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Steve. I really hope that I can help others today who might be struggling with feelings of you know, being unlovable and unwanted. I'm here today because somebody here cared enough to help me become who God wanted me to be. And he gave me a hope for the future, especially at a time when I was beginning to feel there was absolutely no hope. A little backstory: I was raised in a normal family. And I do that with quotation marks. Um, we went to church twice on Sunday. I went to Christian school. You know, there was catechism, there was Calvinats. I was surrounded by extended family. Outwardly, I thought it was, it looked normal. But behind closed doors, there was lots and lots of secrets. My dad rescued my mom and my stepbrother from a very, very rough life. I think my brother was about two or so when dad adopted him and brought them to West Michigan immersed them in the church. My dad came from a very big family, very close-knit family. And all of that was pretty foreign to my mom. But she tried her hardest to fit in. But, you know, with her dysfunctional upbringing and her mental illness, um, she was prone to fits of rage. She tried so hard, and she just couldn't fit in. When she would get mad, she would just lose control. And I was quite often the target because my brother being my dad's stepson, he kind of showed a little favoritism to me. I don't think he meant to, but he kind of did. And so if Joe got in trouble, I got in trouble by mom. And she would just fly into a rage and spank me with whatever she could get her hands on. And, I mean, I often had welts, but as soon as she was done spanking, she would just realize what she had done, and she would grab me and hold me and say, oh, you know, I love you, I love you. And that left me really confused. Sure. And then there were times where she was the life of the party. She was so much fun. We just never knew what we were going to get with my mom. I, I see now, you know, it was the mental illness, and I don't think she was ever properly diagnosed. Back in the 50s, 60s, it was a whole lot different than it is nowadays. For one, it's, it wasn't accepted back then either. It was hard. She, she spent three months in Pine Rest, and I was sent to live somewhere else for those three months. And how old were you at that time? I was in first grade. Okay. So my brothers and sis- my brother and my two sisters, we were all farmed out for the three months. Okay. That was kind of a difficult. And did you know why she was going away? You know, I don't remember a ton back then. Um, there's a lot of blank spaces. Okay. <laughs> a lot of things I don't remember, especially when they were traumatic. I sure. I tended to lose those. Like, you know, when I was eight my brother started molesting me and he coerced me into keeping it 
quiet. We certainly don't tell mom because I'm going to get in trouble. And we didn't want that to happen. And that went on for many years. So there was a lot of shame associated with that. And then um, another night when I was about 16, my brother had invited my mom to go out with him one evening. My dad had gone up north to go hunting. And my sisters went to babysit somewhere, and I was home. So I stayed home alone that night. And all night long, I'm like, where's mom? She didn't come home. My sisters kept calling, saying, when is mom picking us up? And I remember laying there all night wondering what happened. Where's mom? I'm alone here. I was scared. And I was worried out of my mind. She showed up the next morning and said that she was leaving us just out of the blue. She said she realized Dad treated me more like a wife, and that was somehow my fault. She just couldn't live with us anymore. And I remember just taking a walk, and I walked all around town for a couple of hours, and I just felt like my world had just fallen out from beneath me. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I was... I felt a lot of humiliation, a lot of grief. I felt abandoned. The shame was almost unbearable. I was thinking, how do we face people and tell them this? Because that didn't happen back then. People in church didn't get divorced. When they did, there were consequences. I remember one day, the, my dad always went to church twice on Sunday, made sure we always went. And one Sunday, he wasn't going to go, but us girls had to. And I found out why. We're sitting there, and the minister invited the congregation to open the hymnal to the form of excommunication. And he started to tell the congregation what was going on in the excommunicated my mother. And my sister and I both remember sitting there, and everything went dark. We remember nothing else of that day. And it, wow. it's so weird the way, I don't know, they call it disassociation. Yeah. But you just, you blank out a lot of stuff. I could back up a little bit. Two weeks after my mom left, I met this boy. And he came over the next day. And I remember while he was there, my dad got the divorce papers. And that was my dad's an mom and dad's anniversary that day. Oh, wow. It was just so weird how all these little things just kind of dig at you. Sure. And hurt. Um, anyhow, it didn't scare the boy off. And I, I felt hard for him. And he kind of rescued me. I found somebody to latch on to, somebody to that would love me. We came from two very different ways of living, which, kind of like mom and dad, you know, very different lives. Um, so it created a little bit of a dysfunction between us that we weren't even aware of. Um, I thought my family was totally normal. So I guess to go back, you know, I always felt that I was unworthy of love. 
and I needed to be perfect and do everything that was expected of me in order to be loved or be liked by people. So I was determined to be a better wife to my husband and a better mother to our two children. And I just tried everything I could to have that picture-perfect home. And I guess in the process, I became a doormat. You know, anybody could walk all over me, and that was okay. As long as you were happy with me, that was okay. I learned to avoid confrontation at all cost because I was afraid if I confronted somebody, I was going to be left alone, and that terrified me. I never wanted to be alone. All the avoidance and the denial of it affected me physically and emotionally in ways that I, I wasn't even aware of. Years into my marriage, I found myself feeling quite desperate. My husband had worked 13 years on a travel crew, so he was gone most of that time. And I was raising the two kids, kind of like a single mom. Not really, but kind of. And he got transferred to the line department at work. So he was a, he was a lineman for the power company. And he ended up working with the crew that his dad had worked for. Hmm which was a big deal for him. He had always wanted to work with his dad, but his dad had just been retired because he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Okay. And that left my husband quite sad. And so we started struggling with all this change. You know, a dad who was ill, coming home and being around a family that you're parenting styles are so different and the kids are used to one thing and I'm not so it was it was a struggle I had been listening to a man on the radio talk about marriage and family and I realized that's not what I had something was really wrong and I called a counselor who had come to our church once and spoke at adult ed class yeah well he couldn't fit me in but he said if you want to see my associate you know, you could see him. So that's when I met Peter. Okay. And, you know, we met weekly. And it took me months to admit to him what had happened to me. And he said he had suspected that immediately. But he never uh, confronted me with it, never asked me about it. He just kind of waited and helped me learn what boundaries were. He, he equipped me emotionally sure. to deal with the pain that I was going to go through once I admitted what had happened and started dealing with it. And <laughs> it was a long, long, painful journey. He walked me through some pretty dark times. You know, he would pray with me after every session, and he would encourage me. He gave me books to read that I remember one book I decided I was going to do it all in one weekend. <laughs> I was a mess. It's like it, I met with him the next week and he, he took it away and he says, 
you know, no. These things have to be done in little steps. Okay. And that helped. But eventually I grew strong enough to change things. I was able to distance myself from people who continued to hurt me. Um, I actually distanced myself from my mother for a year. And finally I think she, I was better at stopping her from the things that were hurting me when we would talk on the phone. Yeah. So I was able to say enough of that. I would either get off the phone or change, you know, we would change the subject or whatever. And things got a little easier Good. with her. But I still felt like I wasn't good enough for her. Mm-hmm. And which meant I wasn't good enough for anybody. I mean, if you're not good enough for your mom, who are you good enough for? One day we were talking about grace. And it was explained to me what grace really was. No matter what has happened, what I've done or anyone else has done, God's grace is enough. It's enough to love you. It's there for you. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I cried like a baby for Mm -hmm. the longest time. And I think that was the day that I really turned the corner. And it really changed me. I finally understood what God's love for me was. During this time that I was working with uh, Peter to you know, sort through all of this abuse and the molestation and everything, Dan and I were struggling. And we separated for about a month so that we could each kind of come to terms with what the past had done to us. I know one night Dan was feeling completely defeated, and he called Peter and asked if he could talk with him. And I wish I had been there, but Peter said it was because I wasn't that he prayed with him, and he brought him to the foot of the cross where Dan accepted Christ, something that I had prayed for for 21 years and wasn't able to, you know, make headway. It wasn't God's time, and now it was. And that was the turning point in our marriage. We actually renewed our wedding vows, and he was baptized and made profession of faith, and it was just, it was an amazing time in our marriage. And through all of this then, our marriage became stronger. We learned to appreciate each other's differences because we are the exact opposites of each other. Um, I don't know if anybody's more opposite than the two of us. And we realized, you know, my strengths were his weaknesses, his strengths were my weaknesses. And so now we can use those to work with each other and benefit our marriage. It worked. I mean, we'll be celebrating our 47th anniversary this year, and we are enjoying life, you know, now that we're both retired, doting on our kids and seven beautiful grandchildren. You know, we've come a long way. Um, getting back to the forgiveness part, you know, I, I was able to forgive him. And I don't know if it was because he had asked for forgiveness or if this is just the way God works. But we were able to make things work. I continued to struggle with my mom, and she had a stroke. 
and I went to the hospital to see her and I saw this little bitty lady laying in this bed so helpless and I thought how can she die if if we hate each other Hmm. I I can't do this and she recovered and we actually had a wonderful year where it was probably the best year I've ever had with her I don't know if the stroke had changed her personality I you know I don't know but it was a wonderful year then she had an aneurysm and when they went in to fix the aneurysm she had three more strokes and I I wanted to take care of her so I brought her into the nursing home where I was working and that went really well at first but as time went on I think dementia set in sure and all the filters were gone right so everything that she had always said to me was spewing out again. And it was so bad. It was so bad. People in the home couldn't believe what was being said. And I was glad that I had worked there for nine years already because if they thought what she was saying was true, I'd have been out on my ear. You wouldn't have job. No, no. She made it very rough. And I told my sister that you know, when mom passes, I didn't want to be there. We were all around with when my dad passed away. Yeah. And it was a beautiful, peaceful, wonderful passing. But I didn't want to be there with mom because I knew I wasn't going to feel that way. Yeah. And God played a trick on me. My sister was in Mexico. And I ended up being there alone with her. Wow. And she passed. And I just sat there staring. I absolutely felt nothing. There was no sadness. There was no um, relief. There was nothing. And as much as I had felt numb throughout my life with different things, nothing prepared me for this numbness. Hmm. I didn't understand it. And I was bitter and I was angry afterwards you know I went through the motions of you know the funeral and everything like that but I again sought out Peter's help to help me make some sense of this and I navigate he helped me navigate through all those changing emotions I mean they changed and after it was a couple of years I slowly began to move from the thoughts of the bad to the good times with my mom, the times that she'd stay up all night making an outfit for me so I could go to a roller skating party with school, Um, just the fun stuff. And I came to a better understanding of why she did what she did. She was ill. She never had the opportunity or didn't embrace the opportunity to change it. She just, you know, people will carry a chip on their shoulder. I always said she carried the whole board. She didn't want to let it go, and she just refused to address her own brokenness, and that led to her life of absolute misery. My mom wasn't happy. She was miserable. And I came to understand that 
I don't have the power to be responsible for her actions, but I could change my own perceptions and the way I re reacted to various circumstances. And I think I've done a pretty good job of doing that now. Through this journey, I found that God had been with me every step of the way. It didn't look like it, but he was. I realized that he had placed various women in my life during the times that I needed mothering. When my mom was in Pine Rest, this woman who had been her best friend, her name was Aunt Gert, she was a member of our church, that was who I was living with. She was just a part of my life growing up. And I remember there were a few times she happened to be there and rescued me from my mom. There was a Sunday school teacher I was very close with. Then when I moved to California with my husband, when we first got married, there were several older women who came alongside me out there that kind of helped me navigate as a young wife. One of them actually became known as my other mother. Her name was Nancy, and our friendship was so very special. She had never had children. She was raised in the same area that my mom was. There was just so many connections, and we became very, very close. Alzheimer's took her away, too, and mm. so that was hard. But when I began my journey of healing, God placed me in a small group Bible study at church with some of the most awesome women I have ever met. Each one of them had a special gift that they shared with me to help me along the journey. There was one who I always thought of as the mother of the group. She kind of knew how to mother us. There was one, if I wanted to laugh, she was the one that I would call and we would just laugh and laugh. There was another one who, she was my prayer warrior. She would just pray with me. Another one would be the counselor. She'd call me out on stuff. <laughs> so there were all these women that made me feel loved and accepted for who I was. And they ministered so much to me through their friendship. And those relationships remain very strong to this day. They're my best friends. And I know that, you know, life's always going to throw us a curve. There's always going to be heartache, but it doesn't have to defeat us. God's going to be there to carry us through. I'm just so thankful that through all of that, he was there. And I'm thankful that he led me to a counselor who was wise and, and cared enough to stick it out with me. I think there may have been times where a lot of them would have just thrown up their hands and said, you're hopeless. <laughs> you know, we can't do this anymore. But I just appreciate that. Robin, what would you say to people who maybe have thought about reaching out to a counselor, but they're afraid of the unknown, or they're intimidated, or they're struggling with feelings of shame, and they're not sure they want to open up with a stranger? What, what encouragement would you have to somebody who wants to make the call, but just hasn't been able to, to make it happen? Do it. Do it. Your life depends on it. I had wanted to, never thought I could afford it. I had met with a couple counselors before, didn't connect quite with them. Right. You know, it was a very superficial thing. If you don't find the right one the first time, find another. There's one out there that is going to connect with you, that is going to 
help you. They're not going to judge you. I just appreciate that he called me out on things. Your therapist? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He called me out and said, you know, nope, you, you can't do it that way, you know. Huh. He also didn't force me to talk about things I didn't want to talk about. He prepared me. I didn't even know I was being prepared, but he prepared right. me. It's And so when I did, it was such a relief to get that out. I had held in what had happened to me with my brother for over 30 years. I had buried that so far down that the day it did come up, it it spewed. <laughs> Pretty intense. It was intense. You know, he stuck with me, and I, I, I push through. You can push through. God's going to give you the strength to get through that. Don't give up. I, I said to him one day, you know, have you ever met with somebody as long as me? And he laughed. He goes, there's been some. He goes, but most people give up too early. Mm. So don't give up. Don't give up. You'll get through it. Robin, what do you say to some people who are concerned that if they reach out for help, it might indicate that they don't have enough faith that they couldn't figure it out with God on their own? Like, what, what do you say to people who are like, wow, if, I, if I've got God and I've got a church and I've got loving friends, why do I really need to bring somebody else in the conversation? Because God uses tools too. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how to say this, but, and some people might not understand this, but I've always been a very intuitive person. And one night as I was, I was sleeping and I dreamed of my mother. She had her arms around me and we were crying, telling each other how much we loved each other. And I, I dream very vividly. I smell, things are colorful, you know, they're just very vivid. And in this dream, I felt this peace mm-hmm. and... I woke up and I, I felt, wow. And then all of a sudden I realized that was a dream. And I started to feel very sad, like that wonderful feeling was just falling away from me. It sounds weird, but I smelled my mother again. And it hit me. God sent her to me in that dream. And I was able to let go. Yeah. I was able to forgive that night. It was the most incredible experiences and feelings. But I believe that if I hadn't gone through all of the counseling with Peter and hadn't, he hadn't opened my eyes to all of that, I may not have seen what that precious gift from God was. Robin, thank you so much for your time, for Mm -hmm. your courage, for sharing your story and reminding us that God is a God who loves us, who's for us, that is committed to peeling back those layers Mm -hmm. of shame, who wants to meet us in the ashes of our trauma into wholeness and healing. And just for reminding us that God is a God who really does redeem all things even if it takes a little bit longer than we had hoped. (laughs) Definitely takes longer.
<laughs> well, you've been listening to Hope Through Hard Stuff. If you've been inspired or encouraged by Robin's story and think that you or somebody that you know might benefit from talking to a biblically-based, Christ-centered, spirit-led therapist, you can reach out to us on our website, winningathome.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.